Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, welcome um, not to the actual Mizrahi Bet Midrash, but to what we might call the virtual Bet, uh, Mizrahi Bet Midrash. We are in lockdown. If you listen to this podcast in 20 years' time, you might wonder why. You can go and find out what happened in 2020 and 21 and you'll find out. But right now, here we are. But thankfully, thankfully, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has sent this pandemic at the same time as he gave us the technology to communicate with each other, and in particular, to learn Torah with each other. So here we are on Zoom learning Torah. And we are continuing with our study of Rashi. We are in Perak Kaf Dalet, and we're up to Pasuk um, Kaf Aleph. And the story so far is Abraham sent Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. It's not 100% clear what were the criteria. We'll discuss that today. And Eliezer arrives at Haran and sets the potential wife a test, saying, if I ask for a drink of water, the woman in question should offer me water and or for all my camels. And that's exactly what happens. That's what Rivka does. And so we get to Pasuk Kaf Aleph that says, Vaha'ish mishta'e la. And we won't translate that now because Rashi will at length, translate it. Maharish, silent, ladat, to know, hatzlicha, sorry, hahitzliach Hashem darko imlo, whether Hashem has made his way successful or not. So Rashi has a lot to say on the word mishta'e. So first of all, he gives a basic meaning, and then he gives a long, long grammatical exposition. I think in our study of Rashi from the beginning of Rashid, this is the first time we've come across a long, grammatical Rashi. But let's start with the first part, which is the basic meaning of the verb. Mishta'er says Rashi, Loshan she'iya. It's an expression of desolation. Now, later on, Rashi will say exactly how desolation is applicable to Eliezer at this moment and what it means in, in human terms, uh, what it means that Eliezer was expressing what we're translating now as desolation. But it's an expression of she'iya. It comes from the root shin Aleph, hey, and uh, Rashi finds a, a, the word being used in Yeshaya, Kamo Sha'u Arim, Tasha'er Shamama, which is translated as until cities be waste and the land become utterly desolate. Waste, desolate, same idea from the same verb, same root, Shin, Aleph, hey. So what is Rashi's big grammatical point? So I'll tell you to start with, I'll tell you the answer, that Rashi's big grammatical point is you might wonder why the tough comes after the shin. Why might you wonder that? Because if you're familiar with the hitpa'el form, which puts a hay tough before the root, it does exactly that. It puts the hay and the tough, or sometimes the mem and the tough, depending on the exact conjugation, before the three letters of the root. Yet here we have the tough after the shin. So it's not before the three letters of the root, it's after the first of the three letters of the root. It sort of interrupts between the shin and then the aleph and the hay. What is the tough doing there? Now, I, I think we have problems with these sort of rashis because we're not so bothered by this occurrence. Um, either we know our grammar well and we know what the rules are and sometimes the tough comes after the first letter of the root, or to be honest, we don't know our grammar well and we're not that bothered by the whole thing, and therefore we're not, we don't really need an explanation. 
Either way, I don't think many of us share Rashi's need to expound and explain. And it must be that the Rashi's original readership neither had such great diktuk that they recognized the construction, nor um, a little, too little interest in diktuk. In other words, they were interested, but they were still perplexed. Uh, and Rashi deals with that, meets that interest and resolves that, that uh, perplexion. And he says like this. So first of all, he says, Mishta'er, Mishta'meim umitbahel al karov I'm sorry, I've, perhaps that introduction needs to wait a couple of lines. So he was Mishta'er, which Rashi's translated at, or shown or said is from the root of desolation. And he says he's Mishta'meim, he's like amazed. And mitbahel, and he's a bit confused or still a sense of, um, you know, confused, that he saw his words close to being successful. Um, maybe perplexed is a better word for mitbahel, than I say confused. He saw his words to be, you know, near to being successful. But at this point, he does not know if this woman who is feeding the camels is from Abraham's family or not. And we will see, and Rashi, when he's finished his grammar, he'll get back to this. And it's been a theme a little bit running through the chapter that although it wasn't explicit, but Rashi understands that Abraham said that the woman in question to be the wife of Yitzchak basically has got to fulfill two criteria. One, to have the, to be fitting to enter into Abraham's family. In other words, to have the right midot, the right attributes. And in particular, as Eliezer has wanted to demonstrate the attribute of chesed, of kindness, and also that she's got the right yichus, that she's part of the family, the extended family of Abraham. So says Rashi, he says mishta'er, which he has explained meaning desolate, and then he immediately switches for mishta'meim to be amazed. Uh, and he'll explain the connection between those a little bit later. And he's amazed but perplexed that on the one hand, it's going so well, but on the other hand, he doesn't know yet if this is the Hatzlacha that he's been looking for because he doesn't know the other element. So he sees half the story succeeded. He doesn't know if the other half is going to be successful. In other words, he doesn't know if she's going to be from the right family. And the result is he is mishtomeim. He is amazed, umit bahel, and he is perplexed. And that is used, that, that is a, an appropriate understanding of the original word mishta'eh. So now here comes the grammar bit that I promised you. So he says, Va'al titma, but shall mishta'e. Don't be surprised at the tough of mishta'e, which, in other words, the fact that it is not in before the root, but it's after the shin. She'ein lecha teva she'betchilat yesodo shin, u'midaberet baloshon mitpa'el, because I'm taking out the double negatives. Every root that begins with a shin, when you conjugate it in the mitpa'el um, binyan, which we call hitpa'el, she'ein tav mafrida ben shtei otiot shall ika hayasot, that the shin, sorry, sorry, the tav will separate between the two letters, and he means the first two letters of the root of the word, kagon, and then he's going to go through a number of examples. So the basic point is, that normally in the hitpa el, the hey taf, or sometimes the mem taf, goes before the three letters of the root. But if the first of those three letters is a shin, and by the way, there are other 
exceptional letters, but Rashi's not talking about that now. If the first of those three letters of the root is a shin, then the taf will separate between the first letter and the second letter, like here. And then what he does is he gives a number of examples of roots um, which are of this form, and he shows you that in the Hitpael, the taf goes after the first letter of the root. Um, to be honest, I don't know why he has to give so many examples. And again, that goes back to what I was saying before. It's hard for us to understand exactly what Rashi's intended readership needed in terms of diktuk, but he gives a lot of examples. And what I think I will do is we'll read every word because we're going to cover every word of Rashi, Mietzashem, in this year, but I won't dwell on all the examples because it gets a bit repetitive. So he says, first of all, the one where we came in, the word mishta'e, mishtolel, so that's the first one. The next one is mishtolel mikazera shalal. So you have the root shin lamad lamad, but when it's put into this form, the taf goes between the shin and the first lamad. The yishtomeim mikazera shamama. So you have a root shin mem mem, and in this, this form, the shin goes, the taf, sorry, goes between the shin and the mem. The yishtomer, Kukat Amri, here he quotes the whole Pasuk, or three parts, the three words of the Pasuk, Mikazerat Vayishmor. So the root, this word happens to be one we're very familiar with, Shin Memre, Shamor. In this construction, the Yishtamer, the Taf goes between the Shin and the Mem. Afkan, Mishta'er, Mikazerat Tisha'er. So the root is actually not the root, what we would call it, the root is Shin Aleph He. So we have the form Mishta'er with the Taf between the Shin and the Aleph. Okay, that's the grammar bit, and now let's go on to the meaning a bit more. So, just like you find the word which means amazed, with a person who is confused or perplexed, and ne'elam, and is made silent, and he's got thoughts, Kamo al yomo nashamo acharonim, a pasuk from Eov, which um, we just look up the translation. Uh -huh. um, they that come after shall be astonished at his day. So I don't know the context of that. Or shamu shamayim, the heavens are amazed. That's a pasuk from Yemiyahu. Ashdomeim kasha achada, it's a pasuk from Daniel, amazed at this time. Just similarly, you will find shahia in relation to a person who is perplexed and has thoughts. What he means is, and he's going back to what he said at the beginning, that mishta'er is, he's immediately replaced it by mishta'men. Mishta'men means amazed, and it usually applies to a human being. But Rashi gave examples where mishtameim is applied to inanimate objects, like the heavens. So similarly, mishta'er, which normally applies to inanimate objects being made desolate, can apply to a person. In other words, mishta'er can apply normally to inanimate objects, but can apply to a person, just as mishtameim is normally the other way around. So what he's done is explain basically the very first line of Rashi. The first thing he said was Mishta'er is an expression of Shi'iyah, which means desolation. And he showed a deposit from Yeshaya where it applies to cities. And then he said Mishta'er here means Mishta'meim. So the, the two are precisely equivalent. They're interchangeable. That's the point that Rashi made. And Mishta'er comes from the wind Shin Ayin He, Shin Alaf He, it means desolate. And I, then he says, there is another opinion. 
There's another opinion of the source of this word mishta'er, and it comes here. Now, in the text I'm looking at on my screen, actually, um, it's got it in brackets, but I think it's pretty sound. Has everyone got unkelus in the next word of their Rashi? Okay, so he now quotes unkelus, as he often does to say that unkelus has a different idea, but he's actually going to politely disagree with it. Unkelus targain loshen shahiya. So unkelus translates it as an expression of shahiya, shin hey hey, which means to delay, to like wait. And he says, Unculus translates the words as Vagavra Shahi, the man was waiting. Shoher Omed Vimkom Echad. And Rashi now explains what Unculus means. Waiting and standing in one place, Lirot Hatslicha Hashem Darko, to see if Hashem's um, if Hashem would make his way successful. Sorry, he doesn't disagree with that, but um, I think his point is that the shin hei hei has no aleph and our word mishta'eh does have an aleph and uh, although he doesn't say so i guess that's why he disagrees with onkelos but as he does he brings onkelos as an interpretation and he respectfully puts tells you what onkelos says um but he prefers his own explanation because shin aleph hei is not really the same root as shin hei hei and then he says there's another thought you might have which is definitely wrong and that is, he says, the Ain Lataragem Shate. Don't translate it into Aramaic as Shate, which would have come from the Hebrew Shota to drink. And it would have meant the man was drinking. Now, what uh, the reason that might make some sense is because just before the man has been drinking, he drank the water that Rivka gave him, and then she went to feed the camels. So you might be mistaken in reading Pasakafala's but Ish Mishta Air. La, the man was drinking. Um, but Rashi rejects that because um, just lost my text. Here we are. It is not, not an expression of drinking. Because an aleph doesn't fall away in the word shatia. In other words, you can't, our word has got an aleph in it. So if the root does contain an aleph, it wouldn't disappear if the, well, sorry, the, the aleph wouldn't fall into the root of shtia. If the word meant drinking, then the aleph wouldn't be there. So it turns out that if the word means shin hei hei, delaying, Rashi doesn't explicitly say that an aleph can't fit there. And that's why, contrary to what I said a moment ago, he doesn't reject the Targum Onkelos, he just prefers his interpretation that Mishtea is from desolate, which here means surprised, amazed. But when it comes to the alternative that you might think that Mishtea is related to Shatia, to drinking, says Rashi explicitly, that won't work because you can't have an Aleph um, intercalated, I suppose, into that root. Okay, that is the big grammatical Rashi. Um, the next line of Rashi is semi-grammatical, but uh, not so much. And if you go back to the Pasuk, the word is, the, the phrase is the ha'ish mishta'e la. So we've translated mishta'e, we've got that now many times, as amazed. The person was amazed. Now, how do you translate the word la? To her, the person was, the man was amazed to her. That doesn't make sense. So Rashi says mishta'e la means mishtomeim aleha. 
he was amazed literally on her, but about her is what it means. And how do we see la, uh, the, the pronoun with a lamad meaning about somebody? Well, we do see it in other examples. So Rashi brings up, uh, brings two examples. Kumog, imri li achi hu. We talked about this at the time. Abraham said to Sarah, when they are approaching, this isn't uh, going to Mitzrayim the first time, this is going to the land of the Pelishtim the second time, um, say to me, you are my brother. But it doesn't mean say to me, you are my brother. We talked about this at the time. There's no point in Sarah saying to Abraham, you are my brother. What he's asking her to do is say to everyone else about me that I am your brother. So the only way to read that Imri Lee is say about me. And therefore the Lamad followed by the pronoun in our case, Mr. Ela also means he was amazed about her. Rashi brings another example, which also the uh, meaning is unambiguous. This is when um, we're not there yet. It's when um, uh, Yitzchak and Rivka repeat the same sort of story and they go to the land of the Pelishtim and the men of the place asked Le Ishto. Now, it doesn't make sense to say to his wife. It doesn't make sense grammatically and it doesn't make sense in terms of the context of the story. The story is the men of the place asked about his wife. So Rashi has brought two examples where the Lamad must mean about and he brings them to prove that in this case, Mishta'e La, having said at length, Mishta'e means amazed, a, the la means he's amazed about her. And now the passage makes sense. This uh, Eliezer is wondering what's going on and he's amazed about her, amazed that his plan is coming to fruition, but he's not sure yet if he's got all the pieces. So the next pasuk is kaf bet. Um, and it was when the... Um, camels had finished drinking. By the way, Rashi doesn't make the point here about Kilu because he's already made it, but it's the same Targum that we had a few psukim ago. Kilu doesn't here mean finished as in finished up all the water, but it means they were, they, they were satisfied. They'd had their full. Um, I just mentioned that because that's the translation of Kilu here, um, as Rashi says it was a little bit earlier. So the camels had finished Lishtot to drink. And the man took a golden nose ring, beka mishkalo. Its weight was a beka, which is a half shekel. Ushnei al and two bracelets on her hands, asara zahav, 10 gold mishkalam was their weight. So 10 gold units. And Rashi says something very, um, well, let's see what he says. <laughs> then you can finish off the sentence for me. On the words beka, which means a half shekel, remez the shikle Yisrael. This is a remez, an allusion to the shekels of the Jewish people, beka le golgelet, a half shekel per head. Now, because we were in lockdown yesterday, we missed reading Parashat Shekal. So maybe it was all beshed that Hashem has given me this pasuk to darshan on this night. So we can remember at least the Indian of Parshat Shekalim that all the Jews, all the male Jews would give a half shekel. We'll talk about where they gave it in a minute. So says Rashi, when it says Beka, Rashi sort of has a light bulb moment and he thinks, he tells us that the Pasuk has a light bulb moment. Where else do we find a Beka? A Beka is a half shekel. So this is a remez. This is an allusion to the half shekels given by the Jewish people. 
And then on a similar vein, Ushnei Tzimidim. Remez Lushnei Luchot Mutsumadot. This is a reference to the two Luchot which were joined together. See, the word smid is interesting because it means bracelet, but it also comes from the same idea as samad, which means a pair joined together. So it's two things, but two things which have some sort of sense of being joined together. What are the two things that are joined together? The two luchot. And then asara zahav mishkalam, the weight was 10 gold, gold units, Remez la aseret hadibrat shebehen. This is an allusion to the ten. I don't like the phrase ten commandments. It's not a Jewish phrase. Uh, the ten sayings, or just the aseret hadibrat, which were on them, which were on the two luchot. So, Eliezer gives Rivka some presents, and Rashi says each of the presents is an allusion to something way later in history about certain things that the Jews will be doing certain things that uh, uh, are given to the Jews to do. We'll talk in a moment about what they are. Why does Rashi say this? So the word I was probably looking for, and I hesitated to use it, was this pshat is, is somewhat far-fetched. It doesn't sound like pshat. It doesn't sound like the simple meaning of the text. So why does Rashi bring this somewhat esoteric um, ramazim, these allusions uh, as as we've said many times, Rashi's job is to give the Pshut Shamikra. Rashi says that's what he's doing. So how is this the Pshat? So the simple answer, and it is a simple answer, is the Torah here goes into great detail. It could have just said Eliezer gave her presents. It could have gone a little bit further and said he gave her jewelry. And it could have said he gave her a nose ring and bracelets. Why do we need to know the precise weight? Now, you might say, well, it's relevant because in a minute, Lavan's going to appear and he's attracted by the wealth that Eliezer appears to display. But even if he just said he gave her a nose ring and bracelets, it would have given the idea of some sort of opulence and affluence. Um, and we don't need to know the precise weight. It's almost a little bit strange. Um, if somebody gives you a present, is your first question is, how much does it weigh? Or how much does it cost? Or what's its value? Just seems a little bit odd. Maybe I'm clutching at straws, but that seems to be the best explanation. The Rashi feels the weight is added by the Pasuk for some special reason. And if it doesn't really fit in with the narrative that we don't really need to know the weight, uh, we don't really need to know the details of the presence anyway. So why does the Torah give us so much detail? Ah, so if I can't explain it in a simple way, then I find a remez, I find an illusion. Okay, the next thing to say is it's interesting that the two mitzvot that are alluded to, one is the giving of the half shekel. Now, who is, what is this half shekel? There was a little bit of confusion and different uh, perushim on Pasha Shkolim, which we would have heard yesterday. Um, what is the half shekel? Is it the half shekel that the Jews gave towards the construction of the Mishkan, which was then used, if you're reading ahead to this week's Pasha of Truma, for the sockets, the adanim, in which the um, krashim, the boards, were placed. They were made of silver, and they were made out of the half shekel of silver donated by all the male Jews. Um, or is it an allusion to the mitzvah that the Jews would give a half shekel every single year towards the Bet Middash? So the Rambam says, yes, it's the second. Rashi says it's both, but certainly um, it's, we can assume that the, um, what do you call it, the uh, 
Shikle Yisrael, Bechel Gugelet, can refer to the shekels that they gave, the half shekels they gave every year to the Bet Mikdash. So let's just remember what, what this half shekel used for. Why did we have Pasha Shekalim yesterday? Because we have Pasha Shekalim before Adar, and in, uh, before Rosh Chodesh Adar, um, the Sanhedrin would announce, now is the time for everyone to bring their half shekel, and they would bring it during the month of Adar, because it would be used to provide korbanot throughout the year. The Bet Mikdash would bring korbanot every day and extras on uh, days of Musaf. Uh, in addition to the ones brought by individuals, there was the korban tamid brought by Koinim on behalf of Kali Yisrael, and that was paid for by the half shekels, and they needed it to be the collection to be complete by the beginning of Nisan because that's when they started the the new year of shekels, if you like, for the uh, to buy the sacrifices for the coming year. So that's why we ha- would have had Pasha Shkalim yesterday if we were allowed to be in Shul, because we reminded that in the time of the Bet Mikdash, Adar was the time for giving the half shekel. So my point is, the half shekel was used to buy korbanot, which was the nature of the avoda of the service to Hashem. The other thing that is alluded to is the Aseret Adibrot on the two luchot. So what we have here between these two mitzvot is avodah, serving Hashem through korbanot, and Torah. Now, you might realize where we're going with this, because at the beginning of Pirkavot, we say the world stands on three things. What are the three things? So you could say that Eliezer wants to bring all three together. He doesn't need to marames, he doesn't need to allude to it, because Rivka's just demonstrated par excellence by watering all these camels. He has found her to be a balat chesed, but he's also reminding her but if he, she is going to be the ancestress of the Jewish people, she needs also Avodah, as represented by the shekels, which were used by the Korbanot, and Torah, as represented by the uh, Luchat and the Aseret Hadibrot, Tafka, which are on the Luchat. Now, it's not just the Luchat, it's the Aseret Hadibrot, but you actually have to have something to learn that goes together with the Gemilat Chasadim. You can ask, did Rivka understand these allusions? You can ask, did Eliezer understand these allusions? And you could possibly say they all had Ruach HaKodesh, or you can say Eliezer had Ruach HaKodesh, or Abraham had told her him what to do through Abraham's Ruach HaKodesh about these mitzvot, which will apply in the future, that he at least wanted to allude to them, even though she didn't understand the allusion. Or you can say that neither of them understood it, but it was all a remez for what was going on in Shemayim. But uh, the Maharal says the mazal, the, literally the constellation, which is sort of guiding the fate of Rivka, um, wants to uh, be activated by the reference to these mitzvot. No, I don't fully understand that either. Um, but uh, my point is, it, it, uh, you can say that Eliezer and Rivka both understood through a Chakodesh or neither understood, but nevertheless, it's a remez that the Torah is giving us at this time. Okay, let's move on to the next pasuk. Any questions, any comments, always welcome, of course. So Kaf Gimel says, Vayomer, and he said, Bat Mi'at, whose daughter are you? Higidi na li, tell me, please. Hayesh beit avich makom lanu lalin. Does your father's house have a place for us? Lalin will leave for Rashi to explain. So the first thing he says is, Bat Mi'at. Whose daughter are you? And Rashi says on that, After he gave her, he asked, 
He gives the presence first, and then he asks the question. Because he was assured that in the merit of Abraham, that Hashem had made his way successful. So interestingly, exactly what he was wondering about in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, that Hashem had Hashem in love. Rashi uses that same word to say that he was now confident that uh, Hashem had made his way successful. But the first thing that uh, I want to comment on the, the thing that Rashi says first. Okay. The first thing that Rashi says is after he gave her, he asked her. Now, why does Rashi make this point? I think for two reasons. One is because it is a funny way to do things. If it's a criteria that Rivka is from the family of Abraham, he should check that that criteria has been fulfilled before he starts handing out precious presents. And yet he doesn't. Why not? And it's also the case that when he tells the story over again um, in verse uh, Pasuk Mem Zayin, um, which I haven't got on the screen, but I will look up here. Pasuk Mem Zayin, when he sits down to have dinner with Rivka's father and brother and discusses the events and basically repeats everything that we've learned previously, he says as follows. He says, I asked her, Omar, and I said, whose daughter are you? And she answers and tells me that she's Bilchipatul's daughter. And then I put the nose ring on her nose. And the bracelets on her arm. So, although you could and some want to say that the order actually has not been changed, and in both cases, he asked first and then gave the presents. And you could possibly read Pasuk Kaf um, Gimel in a slightly tortuous way as saying that the, uh, the, the giving of the presents took place after the asking about the family, even though it looks like it's written around the other way. But Rashi doesn't do that. Rashi says very clearly he asked her first and then he gave the presents. And I think Rashi is motivated by two concerns. One is simple logic, that it doesn't make sense to give presents first before you know whom you're giving them to. But also because Eliezer made a point of switching the order when he retold the story to put it in a logical order. In Pasuk Mem Zion, Eliezer says what his listeners and we would have expected. So given that, Eliezer himself is conscious that we would have expected him to ask first and then give, Rashi has to go out of Rashi's way to tell us that he asked, he gave first and then gave, sorry, he gave first and then asked. Why? Rashi needs to find an explanation for that. Because Eliezer was assured in the merit of Abraham. Interestingly, Rashi doesn't say Eliezer saw that Rivka passed the test, because that is not conclusive. Uh, and also because we don't rely on simanim, we don't rely on sort of uh, divining and uh, saying if some particular thing happens, then I'll know that Hashem has sent me a message. We're explicitly told not to rely on divination like that. It's prohib prohibitive. So Eliezer is not relying on the sign from heaven. And I think Rashi's 
particular to, to, to avoid that presumption, but rather he's relying on the Zuchut Shal Abraham, that Eliezer knows, but because Abraham deserves merit, Hashem will make Eliezer's way successful, to use the Torah's own words. What does that mean? So Eliezer's already identified the girl who clearly meets the criteria of Chesed and is exceptional. And so it really, really makes sense that she's the right girl. So it really, really makes sense that she's going to fulfill the other criteria, namely that she comes from Abraham's family, which is why even before he's asked her about her family, he's assured that his journey has been successful. And that's why he's given her the gifts already. Okay, so he asked her um, two questions in Pasuk Kav Gimel. First question is, um, who are you? Or literally, whose daughter are you? Sorry, there seems to be a presumption that her identity is as her father's child. And is there room in your father's house? I'm sorry, we haven't got the, there's another part of Rashi about the word Lalin. So says Rashi, Lalin, Lina Achat, one lodging. And Lin, Shem Devar. Lin is a noun. So the word does not mean Hayesh Beit Avich Makom Lano Lalin. It doesn't mean, is there a place for us to stay as a verb, but is there a place for a lodging, a stay, as a noun? Now, before we read further in Rashi, because Rashi is going to give the game away, why does Rashi have to say this? And the answer is, this is a classic case, but it's a very sort of subtle one, but it's a classic case of what Rashi so often comments on, two things which are similar but different. And when they are similar but different, Rashi will explain why, they, why there is a difference. What are the two things? Well, the answer is this word, Lalin, and um, Rivka's reply in Pasuk Kaf Hay. So we'll just jump to Pasuk Kaf Hay. Uh, we'll miss out Pasuk Kaf Dalo for a minute. Pasuk Kaf Hay is, We've got lots of stuff. We'll talk about that later. Gam makom Lalun. There is also a place, Lalun. So there's the two things which are similar but different. It's obviously the same root, lamad nun, and there's a hay which has dropped off. But is the infinitive lalin or is the infinitive lalun? Rivka uses the word lalun. So Rashi explains that they mean quite, well, related but different things. And Rashi says lalin is not the infinitive. It doesn't mean as a place to stay. It's a noun. So going back to Rashi, lalin, lina achat, lin, shame, davar. Lin is a noun. And it means one lodging, one act of lodging. But he omra lalun, and she said lalun to stay, and that means kama linot, many acts of lodging. So Rashi hasn't quite given us the grammatical basic. I, I'm filling that in. Lalun, when she uses it, is an infinitive. There is a place to stay. And when she says a place to stay, that means many acts of staying. You can stay for a long time. You can stay for a few days. He says, is there a place for one act of lodging, which means one night? And she replies, you can stay for, there is a place to stay for a long-term act of lodging. So Rashi is explaining the difference between Lalin and Lalun, because they're obviously similar. They're used basically in the same way, one by Eliezer and one by Rivka, but Rashi explains they're actually different. So let's go to Kaf Dalet. Batoma Elav, Bat Betuel Anochi, she said to him, I am the daughter of Betuel, Ben Milka, the daughter, sorry, the son of Milka, that's the mother, the mother of Betuel, Asher Yalda Lanachor, 
whom she bore to Nahor. I've mentioned before, and I haven't got an explanation for this, that when uh, Betuel, his genealogy is mentioned, it's through his mother who bore him to his father. Uh, and I don't know why Milka has more of a role here than most biblical figures, especially most male biblical figures have. Um, they're not identified Dafka with their mother. Uh, somebody can find out perhaps why that is, but Rashi doesn't talk about it. So she says, I'm the daughter of Betuel. And here we have a lovely Rashi. I just happen to like this Rashi. I like all Rashis, I like all Rashis. But this one is, is, is particularly delightful because he says, but Betuel, hashivato uh, al rishon rishon val achron achron. She answered the first thing first and the last thing last. What does that mean? Because Betuel, sorry, Eliezer asked her two questions in Kaf Gimel. As I said, number one, whose daughter are you? Number two, do you have a place to stay? In Pasuk Kaf Dalad, she says whose daughter she is. And in Pasuk Kaf Hay, she talks about the place to stay. So she answers both questions. And uh, Rashi points out, she answers them in order. To which you might say, big deal. Well, first of all, she's got a 50% chance of getting it right. It's, uh, it's odds on. Because if she did it the other way around, so that wouldn't be the first, the first verse and the last last, but maybe it wasn't a big deal. Maybe it wasn't deliberate. But Rashi is probably alluding to Pirkei Avot Perukhei Mishnah Zayin, which lists the traits of a Chacham. And one of the traits of a Chacham is to answer the first question first and the last question last. So this is not an insignificant thing. The Mishnah Pirkei Avot says it's a very good thing. It's one of those things that make you into a wise person. And I would suggest that it doesn't just mean, you know, you answer in order. It means you organize your thoughts. It means when you're given a lot of different thoughts to conceptualize and then to clarify and to categorize, you can do it. That's part of being a chacham. And it's important to identify the different questions you've been asked and answer them appropriately and in order. And when the poor girl is asked two questions in one go, she can sort out the two questions and she can answer each one of them and she can identify this is the answer to the first question and this is the answer to the second question. It is much more of a big deal than we might at first imagine. And again, I think the proof of that is very clearly in the Mishnah in Avot, which says this is one of the marks, the traits of a Chacham. So Rashi is telling us that she's a Chachamah, that she's a wise person. Not only is she a dab hand with the water jug and not only is she well motivated to offer water to travelers in the desert and their flocks of camels, but she's smart. She also has a categorical way of thinking. And that's uh, one of the attributes that makes her fitting to be the ancestor of the Jewish people. And then, so the second answer comes in Pasuk Kafhei. Vatoma elav, gam teven, gam mispar rav imanu, gam makom lalun. She said to him, there's also straw, there's also mispo, which Rashi will explain, rav, lots of it, imano with us, gam makom lalun. There's also a place to stay. We talked about that. So Rashi now talks about the word mispo. And I think, um, I always go out of a limb when I say this, I think this is Rashi translating the word and telling you what the word means. Uh, but there might be a little bit more to it as that. It says Rashi, kol ma'achal hagamalim, Kurui mispa. All food for camels is called mispa, which we might translate as fodder. Kugon, teven, it says in some editions, like straw, usarim, and barley. 
Now, some editions don't have the word Tevin. The word Tevin there is a little bit problematic because if you look at the Pasuk, she says, gum Tevin, gum Mispo. We have straw and we have Mispo. So if Mispo includes straw, then she's doubling up on the straw. To which the one solution might be this text is not correct in Rashi. Either the word Tevin doesn't appear there at all, or there's a different word. Some texts have the word Itza, which doesn't mean plan here or advice. It means legumes. So it's another type of food for camels. Or you can say there are two types of straw. A straw has two purposes. One straw is to lie down on, and the other is straw to eat. Um, I don't know really enough about the digestion of camels or camel husbandry. I think horses um, use straw in both ways. They lie down on the straw or they do other things on the straw and they also eat the straw. Um, so it could say if the word Tevin is correct in the Rashi here, then um, Rashi is explaining that Rivka says we have straw for bedding for the camels and we also have Mispah, which is a whole variety of delicacies for the camels to eat. Now, it could be that Rashi is saying that Rivka is offering more than Eliezer has asked for. Now, Rashi doesn't say this explicitly, and I only suggest this as a possibility. Um, the possibility is really um, triggered by what Rashi said on the word lalun. So we saw a moment ago that, as I said, he explains lalun is a different form from lalin, but he also says lalin is one lodging and lalun is many lodgings. So even though Eliezer asked her for one lodging, she said, we've got room for many lodgings. Rashi spelt that out. So it could also be that she, he actually didn't ask for the fodder at all. If you look carefully in Kaf Gimel, he just said, And she says, not only have we got a place to stay for longer than you've asked, we've also got mispo. And Rashi, like a sort of fractal pattern, goes one stage further. And mispo means many different things. It isn't just basic food for camels. It's lots of different food for camels. So it could be that Rashi is alluding to the fact that she's offering much more than Eliezer asks for. The result of all that is Pasuk Kaf Zayin, sorry, Kaf Vav, Vayakod, Haish, Vayishtachu, Lashem. The man prostrated or, or knelt down and prostrated to Hashem because he's done it. He's hit the jackpot. She is the right person. She has fed the camels, so she's shown she's got the trait of chesed, and she is the daughter of Abraham's, um, uh, she's Abraham's great niece. Is that right? Nacho is his brother. Yes, yeah, so she's Yitzchak's cousin once removed. So she comes from the right family, so Eliezer is very thankful. And then he says, um, in Pasuk Kaf Zayin, Vayomer, Baruch Hashem, Elokei Adoni Abraham, the God of my master Abraham, Asher Lo Azav Chasto, who has not held back his kindness for Amito and his truth, Meim Adoni from my master, Anochi Baderech, I am on the way, Nachani Hashem Beit Achei Adoni. Hashem has led me to the house of the brother of my master. There's a lot to say about that passage, but Rashi actually only focuses on one word, on the word baderech. And he makes a point, which this might be the first time he's made it, but he does make it at other times. And at other times he uses this information without being explicit about it. But here he's going to be explicit. And he notices something about baderech. 
and he says, Derech Hamuzoman, Derech Hayashar, Baoto Derech Shahayiti Tsarich. The way that has been prepared, the way that is straight, and the way that I needed to be on. In other words, it's not just any old way, it's a special way. Why is it a special way? Why does Rashi know it's a special way? Why does Rashi add not one, not two, but three ways of understanding that Eliezer is not just saying, I was on the way, but I was, uh, sorry, like I was on any old way, but I was on a particular way. And the answer is this. The chain, kol bet, the lamad, the hay, amashamshim barosh hateva. Whenever you find a bet and a lamad and a hay at the beginning of a word serving as a preposition or an article, unakudim bapatach, and they have a patach. Medabrim badavar hapashut shenizkar kavar. They refer to something, a simple something which has already been mentioned bimakom acher in another place. Or shahu mavarar benikar or it's clear and recognizable what it's talking about. In other words, what Rashi doesn't quite spell out is if you have, like in this case, a bet with a patach, then, yeah, sorry, it is a, uh, then it's an abbreviation. It's actually a contraction of b ha, in, and then ha, the definite article. So instead of having b ha, Hebrew contracts it into ba. La is instead of lamad, la ha, and mem is m ha. So all those, sorry, um, and, and he says hey itself. Um, if you have hey with a patach, uh, that is the definite article. And in each case, if it's the something, it either means something we've met before or something which is specific and recognizable. So in this case, it's not something we've met before. We haven't heard about the way that Eliezer is on. So therefore, it must be, following Rashi's second uh, um, suggestion, it must be something mavurar v'nikar, something recognizable. So that's why when Eliezer says, I'm on the way, it means the way that's been dedicated for me, the way that is special for me, the way that I need to be on. And that's all that Rashi has to say on that pasuk. And then on kafchet, the taratz hana'ara, the maiden girl, ran the Taged Levet Ima and told to the house of her mother, Kedavarim Ha'ela, like these things or about these things. So Rivka is excited because Eliezer, this strange man, just met her and given her presence and she's excited. Not clear if he's told her yet what his mission is. Maybe he has told her, but the Torah doesn't mention it, or maybe he hasn't. But either way, she's excited and she runs to someone called Beit Ima. And what is Beit Ima, and why does she go to Beit Ima? And Rashi's going to answer those two questions with his comment. He says, Beit Ima, Derech Hanashim lahem bayit bo It was the way of women that they had for themselves a house to sit in for their work. Um, in our days of lockdown and home working, I think people are attracted to the idea of having a shed in the garden, which is their, their office, um, more often associated with males rather than females, I think, to have a shed in the garden. But apparently, says Rashi, and he learns this from the phrase bet ima, that there must have been a special house for the women to do their work. Now, I think, uh, and I'm sorry, this is going to sound sexist, it is, I think Rashi's basis is bet of, 
that is understood to refer to a household. When you say a bet followed by the father's name, that sounds like either literally the house or the household, but certainly the, the central place where the family was. When it's bet ima, that sounds a bit, uh, that needs an explanation because it wouldn't refer to the whole household if it were the bet of the father. So that's why Rashi explains that there was a special house which would be called, which would serve as the Bet Ima, and that's where she went to. And then there's Rashi's got to say something else. And a Chai daughter only tells her mother. So you might wonder why she doesn't run to Betuel, who, by the way, she's already identified her, uh, him as the key person in her household. And later on, in fact, very soon, Betuel is going to form, take the major role in discussing with Eliezer what, what's going to happen next. There's uh, also Lavan who's going to appear very soon. But Betuel is her father. We don't find her mother taking a major role. Um, and therefore, it's curious why she runs and involves her mother at this case. So Rashi wants to explain that it is the way for daughters to share such sort of interesting news with their mothers. It is worth noting that in Perak Kaftet Pasuk Yud Bet, we have a sort of echo of this Rashi, but in a complementary way. Kaftet Yud Bet. The story is Yaakov has arrived in the same place, in fact, exactly the same place, but uh, nearly 100 years later, um, and he has met Rachel, and they've had a sort of similar conversation to the one between Eliezer and Rivka. And what happens in Yud Bet? And he tell, Yaakov tells Rachel that he's her cousin, and she ran and told her father, exactly the same words we have here, not Beit Aviha, because her father doesn't have his own special house in the garden, so it's just her father. But why, is he, why does Rachel tell her father? We've just established this, Rashi, that daughters only tell their mothers. So it says Rashi there on the Taged Laviha, Lafi Sha'ima Meita, because Rachel's mother had died. Lo Hayala Lahagid Ela Lo. So the only person she could tell was him, i.e., her father, i.e., Lavan. So it was her bad luck that she had to tell Lavan. But Rashi says that there to be precisely consistent with what he says here. Rashi here establishes the general rule to explain our Pasuk but it is the normal way for women to go and tell their mothers. So why doesn't Rachel tell their mother? That's why Rashi has to explain over there that Rachel unfortunately didn't have a mother at that stage. So that's what Rashi says on um, Kaf Chet and on Kaf Tet. Um, yes, on Kaf Tet, we see the following. Ulrifka um, Ach. Ushmo Lavan. Rivka had a brother, and his name was Lavan. Lavan El Haish. And Lavan ran to the man, Hachutza, outside El Ha'ayin, to the well. So it's interesting the way Lavan is introduced. Um, if this were a literary work, or if this were a, a screenplay, um, this key character who's going to have such a role to some extent in, in the Rivka story, but a very big role in the Rachel Valer story, he's introduced in this subtle way as sometimes main characters are introduced. 
It's also interesting, he's not introduced in relation to his father, but he's introduced in relation to his sister. He's first introduced as a brother. Maybe another time um, I can talk about Lavan and his lack of connection to his parents, which if you look carefully, seems to be a running theme. And perhaps there's an allusion to it here, but that's not Rashi, so we won't talk about that. Rashi is interested in the fact that Lavan ran. But before we see this Rashi, we have to see the next verse, Pasuk Lamad, which says, and it was when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on the hands of his sister. And when he heard the words of Rivka, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He, that's Lavan, went to the man. Behold, he's standing literally on the camels, al ha'ayin, literally on the well. Now, Rashi really reads these two psukim together. We're, we're running out of time a bit, although I suppose there's no Marib to get to, but uh, we, I still want to finish on time. Um, and at least the way the Mizrahi reads Rashi is these psukim are out of order. That the running, Rashi's going to say this explicitly, really, is a consequence of what Laban sees and hears in Pasuk Lamad. So with that in mind, let's see what Rashi says on Kaftet. He says, Bayaratz, Lama Ratz, the Alma Ratz. Why did he run? And literally on what did he run? And there's two questions here. So the best way to understand it is the first is why did he run? And the second is what triggered the running? And the answer was, Bayhi Kirotetanezem. It was when he saw the bracelet, sorry, the nose ring. Now that is a quote from the next Pasuk. So that's why we have to say, or at least this is, seems to be the best way to say that Rashi is saying these two Pasukim are a little bit out of order. Sometimes it happens. There's no chronological order in the Torah, as Rashi says. So when Lavan saw the nose ring, Amar Ashir he said, this is a rich man. And he put his eyes on the money. Now, if you look carefully, Rashi has answered the two questions. And that's why Rashi phrased it as two questions. Why did he run? And what, and my translation, what triggered his running? What triggered his running was the sight of the nose ring. And that's expressed explicitly in Pasuk Lamad. He saw the jewelry and he heard what she had to say. And that's what triggered the running. And then he went to see the man. That's how it says it in Pasuk Lamad. And Pasuk Kaftet has already said he ran. But what that doesn't explain is why did he run? That's the last part of Rashi. Amar Ashir Huzeh, he concluded that he's a rich person, this Eliezer, the Natan Einav Bamamon, and Lavan put his eyes on the money. And here we just must mention that Lavan in Rashi's interpretation is thoroughly, thoroughly bad. Now, there are other ways of, of, of learning Lavan. Uh, and the bad stuff that Rashi imputes to him is not always explicit. And in fact, you can, following Rashi, Lavan is very, very clever never to let himself get trapped by his own words. But Rashi is definitely of the opinion that Lavan is obsessed with greed and he's very, very avaricious. And therefore Rashi, at the very first mention, uses that to explain why Lavan ran. So going back to perhaps I should have said at the beginning, Rashi says this Bayaratz, it doesn't, we need to explain why he ran. He wouldn't, doesn't need to run. Um, the next post, it doesn't say he ran, he just said went to where the man was. So why the running? And why the running now? 
What is it that causes the running? And we've just got time for the last part of that Rashi. He was standing Now, <clears throat> Rashi's really got two questions. Number one, what was he doing there? And number two, what does Al mean? Why? Because it doesn't make sense to say he was standing Al Hagamalim on the camels. If he's standing on the camels, he's riding the camels. So Rashi answers both those questions by saying Al Hagamalim Lashamran to guard them. So the first thing to say is Eliezer has tremendous integrity, tremendous fidelity. He's been given a mission by his master Abraham. He's learned from Abraham about integrity. He's in possession of Abraham's um, property, namely the camels. So he looks after them. He doesn't leave them to go off with Rivka and carry on whatever he has to do. He stays with the camels. So Rashi says, Lashamran, which I would suggest is Rashi telling us what a person of integrity Eliezer is. And then he says, He stood Alehem. This is a reference to Abraham uh, entertaining his guests. And it says he stood now that cannot mean he stood on top of them, but it meant he stood by them, but not just, it's not just geographical, it's functional as well. He stood by them in order to serve them. So similarly, when Eliezer is al-Hagamalim, it means by the camels in order to serve them, or in this case, to guard them. So based on that use in Bereshit Perut Yudchet, Basukhet, of the Huamed Alehem, Rashi understands that Al here has this combined meaning of by and for. He stood by the camels, for the camels, in order to do something for the camels, and that was to guard them. We will stop there. And Emir Tzashem will meet again next week. And Emir Tzashem, the Zoom channel will always be open because we're happy to offer that. But hopefully we'll meet in person as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can I ask quickly if I may? Um, please, just when you when you spoke about like why he ran, you said because he had his eyes set on the money. Um, it still is it just basically saying that he was so greedy that he just couldn't like control himself that he ran. Like I still don't, don't quite. Is that, is that yeah, kind of? I think, I think that's exactly it. I think he was so excited. I think Rashi's saying he was so excited by the money that that made him run. Oh, thank you. He was a he was a runner after money in the metaphorical and literal sense. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.